Liza, this is such an amazing book in the way that not only is it girl power, but the thing is, is that it's also, hey, let's re-educate our system in this nation because so many of us did not know this was taking place. Right. I think, I mean, one of the great things about the present moment is with books like uh, Hidden Figures and and I hope with books like The Sisterhood, we're really enlarging our understanding of uh, the, the groups of people who have contributed to American history. And in this case, to espionage, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was exciting material for me to put to the page. The women that I interviewed had these extraordinary stories of their clandestine operations that went on for decades and decades during the Cold War and the and the counterterrorism period. So um, I, I almost had more material than I could um, that, <laughs> than I could how to work with. Do you think that one of the main reasons why we were all getting it wrong is because Hollywood has has always depicted the woman in the CIA as being oh that's that love affair I was having and it goes well beyond that that there were things that happened inside the CIA that 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 wow, it changed everything. Yes, I mean, you know, the the James Bond movies and, you know, lo- love me some James Bond movies for sure. Uh, but, the you know, the role of women in these movies is, uh, you know, she's either Miss Money Penny, you know, she's mm-hmm. the sort of secretary who, you know, sits in, in people's laps back at headquarters or she's the villainess or, you know, the love interest, uh, pussy galore or whoever. And and that is, you know, that's just, let's just say that that's a highly uh, inaccurate depiction entertaining as it might be of women's role i mean it is true that during the cold war women were often hired as secretaries and clerks you know the miss money penny role but very quickly found their way the the most qualified and resourceful women found their way out of this channel this narrow channel that they were put into uh in order to roam undercover around the world uh collecting secrets on behalf of the uh uh, American people. Were, were you shocked in the way that this stretches all the way back to World War II? Because, I mean, I, I love history, and so therefore that, that gives me such a broader picture now of how this has been a progression more than just something that happened during the bin Laden years. Right, exactly. I mean, I knew starting this book that women had been recruited into intelligence work during World War II. The surprise attack at Pearl Harbor, which was the event that launched America into World War II, came as a total surprise to the establishment, and it exposed our complete lack of intelligence gathering or you know we we didn't have a, we didn't have a CIA we didn't have an NSA we didn't have any intelligence gathering agencies in World War II and so that was really the dawn of our modern intelligence community and because the men were all fighting thousands and thousands of women were recruited to Washington to work as code breakers and also to build um, an intelligence community and to and to work in espionage and so it, it, during World War II was what we today would call a moment of inclusion uh, in which it was all hands on deck and women were recruited into this work. And Julia Child, people may or may not know the, the famous chef, yeah. uh, she got her start um, uh, with the Office of Strategic Services, which was the wartime forerunner of the CIA. So so women were there from the get go uh, building these um, these agencies. And then after the war, uh, as also happened to women working in factories, the, the general message was, OK, ladies, you know, thanks for your service. Thanks for your help. It's time to go home now and free up jobs for the returning men. And and many women did do that. Yep. But many women hung on. So some of the earliest characters in my book are women who served during the war and then hung on 
uh, as the Cold War. Of course, we thought we were going to be able to sort of close up shop uh, and in our intelligence agencies after World War II, you know, don't need it anymore. But very quickly, we moved into the Cold War where intelligence gathering and espionage became more important than ever in the contest with the Soviet Union. The book we're talking about is Sisterhood, The Secret History of Women in the CIA. I, w- I was taken back by the fact that so many unpaid spouses rose to become an important tool. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, we we really forget if people ever knew that that for many years during the Cold War, and this is like the 1970s, the 1980s, even the 1990s, women uh, wives were really regarded as extensions of their husband in the diplomatic community. So if you were the wife of an American diplomat abroad, you were expected to work unpaid, uh, you know, parties and and social events and this the same was true of wives of CIA officers they were they were they helped their husbands enormously with with what's called tradecraft on the street you know making dead drops that is leaving messages picking up messages a wife could you know have a huge purse and and the KGB uh, surveillers really wouldn't be paying as much attention to her and what mm-hmm. she's doing so you know you drop a lipstick and then you sweep uh, a message into your purse along with the lipstick like that really happened i have a chapter in my book called housewife cover uh <laughs> that this was the this was the cover that you know the, the the adversaries would would see a woman at grocery shopping or or walk in the the baby in a stroller and think that she was completely unimportant and ignore her and being ignored is what you want if you're spying you know it's so funny it it plays out like a like a nine part binge watch on netflix and 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 i have to keep reminding myself no this really happened dude but i have to ask you though would you would you turn this book into a documentary or would you make it a story form I yeah we've gotten some offers uh, and you know for for optioning and and I do think that it's made for um, for a series like a a, a, a you know a, a, a Netflix type series uh, because there this is what surprised me there there were generations you know different generations of women there was the wartime generation yeah. there was the media post war generation then there was the group of women who were warning about nine eleven. Uh, and and then there were the women who were tracking Osama bin Laden. Uh, there were uh, that that hunt for bin Laden. The the people targeting him were predominantly female because this, this was a field and a skill that that women had really developed at the CIA. So there are discrete generations, and then the women of each generation helped each other and and worked together. So I do think it would work as a as a you know a, a, a multi. <laughs> It would be nice as a multi-series, uh, uh, yeah, uh, TV. Were, were we, uh, the, the part that they knew about, about 9-11 or they were warning against it always shocks me because it's like the, the most, the rest of us did not know that. And was it just part of the top secret thing? I mean, because how is it they got away with knowing more about that when the rest of us were taken back by it? Well, because at the CIA, uh, even starting in the 1980s, with uh, people might remember that there was a series of, of airplane hijackings. Yeah. Uh, that's the form that her- terrorism took in the in the 1980s. The hijacking of the Achille Lauro, mm-hmm. which was a cruise ship, and and so the, at the CIA, there was a very small counterterrorism unit formed in the 1980s. It was not a prestigious. Uh, track career track at that time. Obviously, you wanted to be working against the Soviet Union if you were ambitious. And so women tended to get channeled into counter-terrorist work. And then it became, you know, somewhat larger 
uh, during the 1990s. So there happened to be a group of women analysts who had been assigned to this kind of work. And were also attracted to it because terrorist attacks and hijackings and explosion claimed civilian lives, you know, in a new way. Mm -hmm. The willingness of terrorists to take civilian lives, women, children, babies, and, and the women I interviewed who were working as analysts, you know, were very motivated by that. Uh, among other things, also the detective work of figuring out which terrorists were communicating with whom. But so even in this small counterterrorism unit, there were big terrorist groups like Hezbollah mm -hmm. or Hamas, uh, Hamas that were recognized entities, uh, you know, they, who had names and were the backing of states. But this group of sort of stateless, disconnected fighters who were communicating with each other, who eventually became known as Al Qaeda. Yep. There were many years, even at the CIA, where the where people they sort of they sensed a rising threat, but they didn't even know what the group was called. We we find that hard to believe today. Uh, so you know, not only did the American public not know anything about this group, but even at the CIA, uh, this group of female analysts really had to uh, to battle. Uh, it was very frustrating for them to make the case. No, no, they're real. They exist. Right. They don't have a state backing. They don't have military uniforms. They don't have an army, uh, but they're conspiring and they're planning and they're working together and they have a name and we're pretty sure it's Al Qaeda. Mm. I can't imagine what, what the women in the CIA are going through today with, with everything that's taking place in Israel as well as in Ukraine. Right. I mean, it feels like we're now living the counterterrorism period and World War II yeah. all over again. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. useful reminder that World War II, as we discussed, it was a moment of inclusion. It was a moment where women were brought in, where Navajo code talkers were brought in, yes. where all these American citizens were um, brought in to share their gifts and talents. And we are absolutely in an all hands on deck moment right now. And so, you know, thank goodness that uh, that there is more recognition today that you need to draw on the gifts and talents of all your citizens who are are willing to step up and and protect American or, you know, global security. Uh, and it's, yeah, f you know, the, the battle is taking place on all on many fronts right now. You bring up the names of Mary Bancroft, and you've got Shirley, and you've got Cindy and Molly. And and with you know, the thing that's fascinating about this story is the fact that you get to see them. And because they, they, they dedicated their lives to getting a story or building a story. Yes, and, and I hope readers aren't there. There are a lot of characters in the book, and, and I hope readers don't feel like they have to work too hard, you know, to remember everybody's name. It, it is it is a sisterhood. It's a generational, a really a sort of a, a generational saga of, of three generations in particular, women who served and who helped each other and learned from each other over the years. And uh, I, I was amazed at the wealth of detail that the women were able to share. I mean, Molly Chambers, a younger uh, uh, American case officer, which is their term for spy, who was working in African countries after the 9-11 attack. So she was doing counterterrorism work uh, against groups like Al-Shabaab. Uh, she was that were, you know, that that cropped up in in the wake of 9-11 she was doing but she was doing really important humanitarian work as well one of her missions was to help bring home the nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped by boko haram uh, so she was in very lonely very dangerous part of africa working to locate these girls and and bring them home and i, I wanted to remind readers uh of uh, or expand 
readers understanding of the kind of work that these officers do in these these very difficult postings uh, overseas. And uh, I think it was very meaningful for Molly to have her story told and to have it placed in the context of the women who came before her, who also served in Africa maybe 30 years earlier and who experienced the same sense of mission, um, but also, you know, the real hardships of, of that kind of work. The book we're talking about is Sisterhood, The Secret History of Women in the CIA. It's part history. It's part drama. But it's also, to me, in my heart, a book of activism because you're stepping forward saying, hey, 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 these women were there for this nation. We can't forget this. And we need to have more women get more involved. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to. Again, we always need to draw on the gifts and talents of, you know, our our our, our full array of, of citizenry. Wow. So who fought for the, the rights of these women? Do you feel like you're part of that team? Oh, I, 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 I well, I, in, in, in telling their story, yeah. I, I certainly, uh, I, I was very committed to telling their story. I was riveted by the operations that they described. And it's always, um, you know, there's some similarities to the work. Uh, what what they do abroad is called eliciting information, you know, persuading people in other countries to pass secrets uh, to them that, that they can find their way to the U.S. president. And, and reporters and book authors who do interviews, we're eliciting information as well. And we're being entrusted with people's life stories. And, and I certainly take that very seriously. Um, their lives aren't in my hands, but their life stories are in my hands. And it's... Um, it's 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 a responsibility to try to tell that story fairly uh, and and well, hopefully. I've been blessed with the opportunity to talk with many CIA agents, and we do laugh a little bit when it comes to the, the government editing process. Uh, did you have to go through that as well? No, because oh, I was yeah. never a CIA employee. It, it can be very frustrating for CIA officers who've lived these exciting lives uh, who who then want to write memoirs or, or write about it. They do have to submit everything to review, and, and sometimes it can be censored completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, because I'm an independent author and, and never was an employee, I don't have to submit my work to to the agency for review or never any intelligence agency. So how does someone like Heidi August at the age of 11 tap into the CIA? I mean, age 11. Heidi was extraordinary. She, yes, just as you say, as a girl of, um, of 11, she, she had formed this notion that she would like someday to live in Paris. Mm. And she read her, she read her, the news weeklies that her parents got at home. And so she read a story about the CIA and she thought, well, that, that would be a good way uh, to, to work overseas. And, and so she wrote a letter to the CIA and she was sent a brochure uh, about how to become a clerk secretary for the CIA. And 10 years later in 1968, as a graduating college senior who had majored in political science, uh, she went to a recruiting booth at her college campus job fair. Uh, and there was CIA was there. And uh, and she said she was very interested, still very interested in working overseas. And they handed her the exact same brochure. You know, her male class mates were being recruited as case officers or wow. intelligence analysts. And Heidi was hired as a GS4, as, as a lowly clerk, and, and served as a clerk for 10 years uh, before she was able to uh, convert into what they call the professional service and begin working as a case officer, as a spy overseas. And at that point, she had had extraordinary training, informal, on-the-job training, working in Libya, working in Cambodia, working in Bonn, Germany. Oh, my God. Um, 
Yeah. And, and running operations essentially uh, for the, for the, in some cases, literally running the offices of, of the of the stations overseas, but also learning how much access clerks have to the technology in their stations and the intelligence in their stations so that when she did become an American case officer, she understood that there was a whole cohort of people she could attempt to recruit who her male colleagues didn't notice, and that was women, mm-hmm. women in other countries, women working as clerks in offices where they were pissed off at the way they were treated and women who had access to technology and classified information um, beyond her wildest dreams in some cases. So how much did compassion play in this role? Because I always thought my mother should have been a spy. I mean, you get someone like Lisa that used empathy and emotional intelligence to really own the trust of other people. I mean, there's, there's a side of women that guys just don't have. Well, yeah, and I, and I don't know that I would go that far, but, but you, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. But uh, yeah, people forget or maybe don't understand that when a CIA officer uh, recruits a foreign national to pass secrets, they're 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 recruiting that person to break the law of their own country and to put themselves at enormous risk. Mm. Um, you know, if the asset is called your asset, if the asset is caught and arrested, they'll be possibly killed, certainly thrown in jail. Uh, the consequences will be terrible. And so, one of the um, you know after after this asset has been recruited, has agreed to to spy to pass secrets, they have to be handled is the verb that's used. And handling means taking care of this person meeting with them in secret, teaching them how to communicate with you, uh, you know, sort of plan A for communication, plan B. If if plan A doesn't work, there's a lot of logistical planning uh, and there are secret meetings and you have to work hard to keep that person safe and to look after their psychological well-being. As you can imagine, it's very, very stressful work for the person who's passing these secrets. And so taking care handling it means taking care of this person and i don't think it's sexist of me to say that taking care of people is an activity basic human activity that women have had tens of thousands of years of specialized training at and so again i don't argue in the book that women are better or that they're more gifted i i do think sometimes they have a different set of innate skills and and certainly for decades women were underestimated and neglected Uh, in these foreign countries where they worked. And so they were really able to move around unsurveilled and unsuspected by the foreign adversaries. You know, you did hit something that when you said that when the war was over, the women that were in the factories, you know, they could either, you know, continue on in the CIA or they, they had to go. And I remember my mother telling me all the time, they forced me to go back to my father's ranch out, out in uh, Gillette, Wyoming. And, and it's like, oh, my God, you were in that factory with all of that stuff and you could have become something bigger. Yeah, so your mom was a Rosie the Riveter, uh, as as you're saying then, um, working, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of American women uh, did were recruited into workplaces during World War II yeah. with, you know, with government newsreels and posters, you know, uh, we can do it. And, and, and then after the war, the same newsreels, the same government propaganda, and I use propaganda in the sense of, you know, posters and leaflets and um, newsreels and movie houses said, okay, ladies, it's time for you to go home as you promised, as mm-hmm. you promised, mm-hmm. and, and, and free up workspaces for returning GIs. So, uh, you know, women who found that they liked being in a workplace, that they felt that this was important work, uh, were essentially shut out after the war. Uh, but as I said, there was a cohort who hung on, and these women 
made enormous sacrifices during the Cold War because the expectation was that if you wanted to keep working, you couldn't get married and you certainly couldn't have children. Ooh. You would be expected to quit and stay home. There would, you know, there was government sponsored childcare, free childcare during World War II. And all that was shut down after the war. Uh, and, you know, the expectation took hold that you couldn't you couldn't have both things. You couldn't have a job and be a mother. So so the female spies that I in my book, Heidi and Lisa, the great personal sacrifice they had to make was um, not having children. Wow. I could talk to you all day. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future, Liza. Anytime. So, so it's great to talk to you. Well, you'd be brilliant today. OK. Thank you. I'll try.